Open your Bibles, please, to Genesis 39. A couple of, uh, couple of years ago, I received the reward of doing a lot of heavy lifting without a lot of solid exercise. It's called herniated discs in my lower back. Many of you will remember the Sunday when Pastor Dave preached while on drugs. Oh yeah, now it comes back to you, that's right, that's right. Yeah, that was the last time that happened. Great amount of laughter was had at my expense, and I haven't quite recovered from that yet. But, uh, but the prescription for recovery, uh, because my case was not really bad, it was just sort of bad, is physical therapy. And so I went to physical therapy and did this and that and the other, and but after a couple of years, I still have an ongoing problem. So I went back to the doctor and I, and I said, I think I need some more physical therapy. And he said, yeah, I would agree. So I went to, uh, to my regular physical therapist. I'd gone to somebody different that time. And they prescribed some exercises to stretch some ligaments I didn't even know I had. Um, some of the exercises I, I was not terribly surprised at. They involve uh, lifting heavy objects called my torso. <laughs> you know where you lay on the floor and try to sit up <laughs> but then there's this other exercise there's a ligament that goes up and down your spine on the inside and the out and there's a way to stretch that thing to create more flexibility and strength and so on. Uh, now, I've been working out. You, you won't know this by looking at me. But for the last five years, I've been fairly consistently working out um, on a good week, three times a week, on a really good week, four times. But I haven't been doing the exercises that I needed to do to strengthen that part of my back. And so I've been doing a lot of good exercise, but not the right exercise so, Lord willing, through adding this to what I'm already doing, I'm going to gain some strength that I haven't had before. That's the, I want to talk to you about that kind of strength in your spiritual life today and for the next couple of weeks. We, we know that spiritual exercise often involves saying no to sin and yes to righteousness. That's the most common kind of spiritual exercise. And we say, oh yes, I need to do that, and I need to do it more. And many of you have been doing that for, have been doing that for many years, and, and, uh, and the Lord has used that in your life. But there's another element to spiritual exercise that we want to think about particularly today, which has to do with the exercise of our mind and our heart in reference to to living in the presence of God. Living in the presence of God. And we want to understand how living in the presence of God can strengthen us for whatever comes our way. And the first thing we want to understand is this, that God's presence strengthens us in righteousness. Genesis 39, please, follow as I read. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. This was, if you don't know the story, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers because they were jealous with him, and they wanted to get rid of him, and instead of killing him, they made money by selling him to some slave traders. Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites. He bought him as a slave. 
<clears throat> verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house. Now when you think of this, think of a small enterprise, maybe like a farm, uh, the house, you have multiple servants doing different kinds of work. Maybe you have a farm or at least a small garden plot where you have some workers doing that. So this isn't just one little thousand square foot house. This is a household business, if you will. Um, verse 4, he made him overseer of his house and all that he had he put under his authority. So it was from that time that he made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. In other words, he didn't have an account of it. If somebody said, how much money do you have? He'd say, I don't know. He trusted Joseph that much, put it all in his hand. Verse 6, he, Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused, and he said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has into my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Now, Joseph could have acted uh, out of any of the common thoughts, which would have been this. He could have said, well, she's asking for it. He could have said, her husband's never around. In fact, he doesn't really care for her that much. He'll never know. He could have said, I'm sure lonely. He could have said, I deserve some happiness because I was treated so bad for, by my brothers, and I've had such a hard life that I deserve this. Any of those thoughts would be common in society and would have brought human justification. But those were not the thoughts on which he focused. What was front and center in his mind? What was front and center was, God sees all. God is here. Here's a summary statement on the existence of God from Ephesians 4. There is one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. This is really a, a great summary of theology proper. If you want the fancy word, it's transcendent. The transcendence of God means this. God is separate from his creation and he is literally above us. He is outside of us. This stands in contrast to those people who would try to define God as literally in the stuff. Those are called animists, people who believe that. 
that God is in me and I am God. Now I know it says he is in you all, but he's talking there to Christians. God is above us, but he is also around us. If you want the fancy word for that, it's imminent. The imminence of God. He is transcendent, separate from us, but he is all around us. And if we know him as our Father through Christ our Savior, he is in us as well. Here is a more detailed teaching on the presence of God from Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down, my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You have hedged me or put a fence behind and before me. You've laid your hand on the top. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. God sees all. God is everywhere. We cannot get out from his presence. I spent Thursday this week riding around the northwest corner of the county with a bunch of cops picking up people with warrants for their arrest. This was a special activity designed to create an awareness of law enforcement especially in those people who might have gone to the fair last year and uh, brought their guns and uh, committed some violence while they were there at the fair. So we went out to arrest people that had a warrant for their arrest who were connected to gangs in Whatcom County. If you don't think there's a gang problem, you're mistaken. So we had a whole list of people we were searching for, and we went here and we went there, and, and some people were home and some people weren't, and... And we went to one place, and the fellow we were looking for wasn't home, but there were three other people there with warrants, so we arrested them. (laughs) And came back that night and got him, four in one house. Actually, he wasn't living in the house. The only person we didn't arrest was Grandma, but her daughter and the daughter's son were both arrested, and a woman fiddling with her car out in the front yard And then we came back, and this fellow apparently was subletting a camp trailer in the backyard, and he was in there. And uh, I was riding with the team leader, and we got called to go back because this fellow was sort of barricading himself in, and they thought they might have to do something a little more aggressive to get him out. But by the time we got there, he was coming out with his hands up. What was so fascinating was the fellow was in a, a camp trailer, you know, you know those little camp trailers that are about this big. Okay, and we knew he was in there, and he knew we knew he was in there, but this is what he was doing. He had his head down in the couch cushions with his eyes covered. And he looked up, and the deputy was looking in the window at him. And the deputy says, Really? (laughs) That's how you're going to hide? 
what Malachi did a minute ago here on, on, on the, on, there he is. Yeah, he, he took, his, took his toy and he covered up his eyes so I couldn't see him. Where is the place where you think God cannot see? When we stop and think about it, we have to say, well, yeah, God sees all. That thought was so in Joseph's mind that he said, I can't sin, even though it's humanly justified, even though I'd probably get away with it, even though it's something I want, I can't do it because God sees. God is present. Do you want to sin less? If you do, get up in the morning and first thing say, good morning, God. I'm looking forward to walking through the day by your side. Please remind me that you see every action and hear every thought. Kids, do you want to sin less when you go to school? Take your felt pen and write on the inside of your notebook. I know you hardly ever write on your notebook with a felt pen, but you could do it just this once because Pastor Dave said it was okay. And just write this phrase, God is here. If you have some challenges at work, put a sticky note in your workplace that says, God is here. If there's a challenge somewhere else in the car, put the sticky note that says, God is here. And the next time you're tempted to think a bad thought, say a sinful word, look at a sinful picture, read a sinful magazine or a book, or do a deed that's wrong of any kind, start by saying, God is here. God is here. God's presence will strengthen us in righteousness. Secondly, God's presence can strengthen us in contentment. Turn to Joshua chapter 7. Just down the road from Genesis a little bit there. <clears throat> Joshua chapter 7. And we're going to look at verse 19 and following. We're going to read those verses. And here's the backstory you need to be aware of. <clears throat> You remember the story of, of uh, the Battle of Jericho, where they marched around the city and then the walls fell down. That's the, the famous part of the story. There's a little bit less famous part of the story here that we're going to pick up because it's important to understand um, it's important to understand that this is what God said to them. Now the city will be doomed by the Lord to destruction. And all who are in it, only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the cursed things and, and the, make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. So God specifically told them when they went in, said, now look, Every person there is going to die except Rahab and her family and all of the silver and gold, the valuable things. They belong to the Lord. Everything else is to be left to be, uh, if it's an animal, put it to death and so on. Now, chapter 7, verse 19. <clears throat> now Joshua said to Achan, 
My son, I beg you, give glory to the God of Israel and make confession to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils, that is the the remains of warfare, the spoils, a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and I took them and there they are hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and there it was hidden under the tent with the silver under it. And they took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with them took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had. And he brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire after they'd stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. God had said very specifically to them, you are to conquer this city, and you are not to take any of this stuff. And so why did Achan disobey? I think the answer is here. So it shall be, when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. See, what God promised them when they left Israel, he said, look, I'm going to send you to a land, we know the phrase, flowing with milk and honey, which refers to how fertile it was. If you have milk, then you have cows, but the cows have grass and they have water and, and the whole environmental thing. And if you have honey, you have bees, and the bees have pollen, which is on fruit and so on. And, and so you have this whole fertile environment. He said, I'm going to send you to a place like that, but it's not just a fertile place. I'm going to send you to a place where there are houses already built. I don't know if you've ever conceptualized this in the whole process of leaving Egypt and going to the promised land, God said, I'm going to remove the people and you're just going to go in and live in their homes. It was a whole ready-built city and multiple cities, a whole nation. But he said, there's a danger for you. And the danger is, is that when you finally get this and you're sitting in your house and you're eating the fruit of your vineyard and so on, the danger will be right here that you will forget the Lord. Is it so possible to become focused on the stuff of life that you forget the Lord? Is it possible to become so focused on getting some material object that you steal it because you can't wait for the Lord? Is it possible 
that you want a relationship so bad that you will disobey God to get it. God gives us this wonderful promise. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you. Now, do you notice in that promise, he doesn't say, I will give you all the things you want. And he doesn't say anything along that line. He simply says, I'm going to be there. And that's what Achan forgot. Achan got so focused on some gold and silver and a nice suit of clothes that he said, I have to have it. I can't wait for what God's going to give me when we come into the rest of the promised land. I knew a pastor who wanted his church to change their name. He led them through a process of discussion and education, and when the day came for the vote, the church voted no. And the pastor turned his back on God, and I know this because I heard it out of his own mouth, and he said, I'm just going to have to do this myself. And as he walked through his life, he walked into sin, and a few months later, he was not pastoring the church anymore. And in time, a new pastor came, and in time, the church changed its name. You know, sometimes we want the right things, but we want them at the wrong time. And if we're going to steal and rob and cry and whine to get something, we're probably going to lose God's blessing and incur his wrath. It's hard to be patient for God to work, but it's always better than taking things with our own hands. Do you want to be more content with your life? Do you want to become stronger in contentment? Then get up in the morning and say, Good morning, Lord. Help me to see your hand at work in my life. Help me rest in your provision for my life. Help me to live righteously while I wait for you to bless me in the way and at the time that you know is best. God's presence strengthens us in righteousness and contentment. And last, it strengthens us in courage. It strengthens us in courage. Turn to Exodus chapter 14. Exodus 14, and we're going to start in verse 10. We're at the middle of the story. We're going to read the middle of the story first and then go back. So let's start in verse 10. Then Pharaoh drew near. The children of Israel have left Egypt, and they're coming up to a hard spot. Pharaoh drew near, and the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you, why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? 
For it would have been better for us to serve the, the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. That's a religious way to say, keep your mouth shut. Now let's go back to the beginning of the story. Verse 1, chapter 14. Now the Lord spoke to Moses. The Lord didn't speak to all the people. And he didn't tell Moses to tell the people this. It's important to realize that. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Pi-Hiroth, between Migdal and the sea opposite Baal-Zephron. You shall camp before it by the sea. God pick the place for them to be. For Pharaoh will say, when he sees this, of the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Do you understand what's going on here? God knew God knew exactly what was going on and exactly what he was going to do. He said, Moses, I want you to take the children of Israel over here right next to the sea. And the Egyptians are going to come in and they're going to think these people have messed up. They should have gone up and gone around this way where there was a land bridge, but they've chosen to come across or come by the sea, and now we've got them and we're going to kill them. And God set that up because he intended to get a victory over Pharaoh that none of the children of Israel could have imagined or accomplished. And you know the rest of the story, of course, how the waters parted, the children of Israel walked through, and the Egyptians followed, and then God closed up the water, and that verse became true. The Egyptians you see today, you will see no more. God is always at work in our difficulties. We don't see him physically. We don't hear a specific word. We hear the general words. But God is always at work. He knows what he's doing and what he's going to do. We usually don't see what he's doing up front. Many times we can look backward and go, oh, wow, look, look what God did there. Look how he set this up and that up. Oh, isn't that incredible? But as we look forward, we think, what in the world's going on? God allows fearful situations to bring honor to himself. God allows fearful situations to bring honor to himself. Look at chapter 15, verse 1 of Exodus. This is the response of the children of Israel to this fearful but triumphant situation. Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord. And I don't know if you, this, this is a chorus we used to sing. We haven't sung it for a while. 
I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. You remember that song from a few years back? The Lord's my strength, and I will praise him, the Lord's my... And so on. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. And it goes on for, for half of a chapter. Moses wrote a worship song, and they sang it together in praise of God. They, they saw this great victory, but they didn't learn the lesson very well. Look at verse 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now, I don't know if this is three days after that event of the Red Sea or three days after the worship song, but it's pretty close. They went three days, and they found no water. Now they came to Marah, and they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? They're right back to where they were a week ago. And they forgot that God was with them. And they did this over and over and over. And of course, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, Hey Christian, those things happened and were written down for your enlightenment, for your education. Now here's an Old Testament guy who got it right, David. David said, The Lord who delivered me out of the paw of the lion from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. David was courageous, not because he was a great warrior. Now, we know he was a shepherd, and he probably knew how to use a sling. But what are the odds that you're going to hit a guy straight between the eye while you're running, and he's running at you, and all the adrenaline is going? You think, oh, yeah, you know, 10 times out of 10, square between the eyes. Eh, probably not. But David's confidence wasn't in the sling. It wasn't even in the fact, he didn't say, you know, I took on a bear and I took on a lion. He said, the Lord who delivered me out of the hand of the bear and the lion, that Lord is going to deliver me from this difficulty. We don't have to know the whole story and how all the details will work out we just have to cling to the God who loves us and is controlling the story for our good. We hear a similar sentiment from the Apostle Paul near the end of his life. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work, and preserve me for his kingdom, for his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory. The Apostle Paul was facing execution, and he said, the Lord's in control here. One night I came out of our house in Tukwila to put something in my car. I had, had to make sure to remember it the next day, so I step out of the house, and there's a third car there. It's not mine. And there's two guys relieving themselves on my yard. 
I thought, well, that's never happened before. And then one of them starts talking to me, and it's obvious he's at least a little drunk, and he wants to know where a certain address is or a certain apartment complex, and I didn't know, but he thought I was holding out on him. And he's moving toward me, and it was before I had my self-defense class I had a couple of weeks ago. If I'd had that class, I would have done the same thing I did this time. I backed up and got my hand on the door, and the door was locked behind me. And everybody had gone down for their midwinter's nap. But we had a dog who, whenever the doorbell went off, the dog went kind of into, you know, protection mode. So I go, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> My wife came out and opened the door, and that dog stuck his head out. He was a long-haired Sharpay chow mix, and the big face, and he went, I had a hold of his collar, and the guy was about three or four feet away from me. I said, you want me to let this dog go? And he got in his car and drove away. That dog earned all the dog food I ever bought for him. <laughs> By myself, fearful, with the dog, not so fearful. Because the dog had bitten other people. Just little warning bites, you know. So I was pretty sure the dog would come through for me. <laughs> Folks, we are walking with God. We're walking with God. We're, we're sleeping with God. We're getting up with God. We have the creator of the universe at our side. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side. Do you want to be courageous? Do you want to be courageous as you face the challenges of life? Then when you get up in the morning, pray like this. Good morning, God. I'm so glad you're here with me. I know you are stronger than anyone or anything I will face today. Help me rely on you when I am afraid. God's presence strengthens us as we actively live in it. I, I want to give you a couple of thoughts about developing your awareness of God's presence. The path of growth to Christian maturity is defined for us here in Ephesians 5. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, if you got a letter from the Apostle Paul to a church like this and he said, you should all be teachers by now, how many of you would say, well, that's not my gift? How many of you would have some other reason? How do you think these folks feel? They didn't have a study Bible to take home with them. And he says, by this time, you ought to be teachers. And yet you need somebody else to teach you the first principles or the elementary truths of God. You have come to need milk. That's what God calls the simple things of the Bible and not solid food or meat, the, the hard things of the Bible. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, a spiritual babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. I think that's a great definition of, of how spiritual growth occurs. 
we take God's truth and we exercise ourselves and our senses, our thoughts, our heart, and we develop godliness. When I went to the physical therapist just about a month ago now, the uh, met with the, the head guy, and he looked me all over and said, oh, yeah, yeah, and, and there's a certain set of exercises. And he passed me off to the junior guy, and the junior guy took me out and said, now do this and do that. And he showed me all the exercises, and he took a piece of paper, and he drew a, a likeness of a human figure doing the exercises and said, do these so many times and those so many times and do this at night and so on. He laid this thing all out on a piece of eight and a half by 11. I have that piece of paper at home. I know what the exercises are. I could describe them to you now. But they won't do me any good until what? Until I exercise myself. It's all written down. We know a lot of it. But we've got to exercise ourselves. Strength comes from doing. How do we exercise our senses to live in the presence of God? How do we exercise our senses to live in the presence of God? First of all, by getting to know God through his word. When we read the Bible, we should not just be looking for don't do this and do this. We should be trying to say, who is God? What is he like? How does he act? We often talk about having a relationship with God. And so we have to know him. Romans 10 says, has this great promise. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Do you want to increase in not only your awareness of God, but your faith in him? Spend time in the word. If you go to the word with a sincere heart and say, God, I want to know you. And I want to believe in you. God will build that in you, but it starts with his word. God cannot grow you up until you know the truth. Number two, by acknowledging the goodness of God consistently. Then Jesus said to Satan, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. I don't know if, you, if the word worship is a regular part of your thinking and doing, but it should be. Worship is any time you recognize who God is and what God has done. Whether it's a specific thing like, thank you God for helping me with this certain task today, or maybe it's a broader thing like, thank you God for being a forgiving God or, or, a, or a merciful God or something like that. We need to acknowledge the goodness of God. Every time something good happens, the words praise the Lord, thank the Lord, thank you Lord, something like that should go through our minds, should come out of our mouth. Acknowledge the goodness of God consistently. Number three, ask for the help of God continually. When I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know because God is for me. If we're in the habit of always praying, always praying, say, God, I need help with this. God, I need help with that. We will grow in our awareness of God. How can you grow to the place where talking to God 
is just as natural as talking to anyone around you. Or thinking of God is just as natural as being aware of your surroundings. Let, let, me, let me just give you an, an application idea for this. If, if this is something new to you and you're saying, I'm not, I'm not regularly aware of the presence of God, then try something like this. Make a plan that will help you to pray every hour you're awake. Use the sticky notes, use the felt pen, whatever it is. Every hour I'm awake, I'm going to pray. Every hour, every hour. I'm just going to stop and thank God or ask for God's help. I'm going to, I'm going to discipline myself to do this, just like I would have an exercise plan that I'm going to do so many times a week. Here is my plan. Write a note. Write a series of notes. Make a goal. And if you don't know what to say, then just give him some thanks. Tell him what's going on. Ask him for some help. Several years ago, when texting started to be popular, one of the employees at McDonald's was sitting at a table. She was texting. I said, oh, who, who are you texting? And uh, she said, well, I'm texting my boyfriend. And I thought, why don't you call him? Just talk to him. So I said, why, why don't you just call him? Well, I don't have much to say. And, and so... If I called him, there might be an awkward pause. So I just send him a little text, and when he gets a minute, he sends me a little text back. Yeah, great plan. Do that with God. Send him a little text. Say, God, thank you for being there. Thank you, praise you, help, whatever it is. When the sheriff's office task force was getting ready to go on Thursday, went to this meeting on Thursday morning, and all these people were for their federal agencies and all kinds of stuff. Guy that's leading the thing, he says, we're dealing with some folks who are potentially dangerous, or their friends and family are potentially dangerous, so everyone has to wear a bulletproof vest, and everyone has to have a gun. Well, I didn't have either one of those, so I just determined to stay in the background near the cars. When they went into a house, uh, I just hung back. They were taking so long at one home, I had a little nap in the car while I was sitting there. <laughs> Man, I was tired. <laughs> Christian, you're not alone in facing the challenges of life, so don't live like you are. You can step back. God's out front dealing with the enemy. Let him. Let him rest in his hands. Rest in the Lord. Let him do the heavy lifting. Father, help us. Help us to live in your presence and your awareness. Help us to realize how strong you are and how caring you are and, and how involved you are in our lives. And help us to be, to be strong against sin and strong against covetousness and and strong against the things that would cause fear. Make yourself known to us today. I pray in Christ's name, amen.